If you have ever struggled to forgive someone or are currently struggling to forgive someone or in the future you may my prayer is that today's passage and sermon will help you question it's a question to help us not help us help ourselves in reading the bible and especially the old testament and here's the question for today. Uh, what is share with King David, one of the people in today's passage we're going to look at in just a moment, who lived in 1,000 B.C., 3,000 years ago? What is the mutual human condition, what I'm saying with him, that requires God's grace? This help, we need a spirit. And as we read this text, it is not just to understand what happened or to discover the facts of his. So we have to do a little bit extra work when we are reading the Old Testament in particular in identifying where God's grace is needed. And we have uh, some visitors today, some of them from faraway places like Oxnard or even Latvia. So let me, um, whether you are from nearby or far, I know we have some visitors, so let me just explain in case you're not familiar with the story, what has been going on in 2 Samuel? I'm obviously not going to explain it all, but let me give you a little background that's relevant to today's passage. We have a father in today's passage. His name is, is King David. And he has a son. His son is named Absalom. And Absalom murdered one of his brothers. So he killed one of his father's other sons. And he has been banished. He ran away, but he also was not welcome to come back to Israel, to Jerusalem, to the palace, to the family. Because of this murder, he has been gone for about three years. And those of you that were here last week, we saw that one of the leaders, the commander-in-chief, Joab, wants to get Absalom back for a transition of power for David. That is likely the reason that Joab wants him back. But David had no intention, his father, of bringing him back. That is just a little bit of background. So last week, he was won over, the father, King David, to bring his son back. He was sort of won over, we're going to see in today's passage. But he agreed to bring him back from this faraway place, Geshur, to Jerusalem, to Israel. And so that's where we pick up the story today, and that's in verse 21. So hopefully you have your Bibles open or a device open to 2 Samuel 14 and verse 21. So the king says to Joab, very well, I will do it. I'll bring him back. My son has been banished. My adult son has been banished for three years. So he says in verse 21, go bring back the young man Absalom. Bring back this young man who's full of youth and, and vigor and immaturity and a lot more, as we're going to see. So, so David has changed his course, his direction. He says, bring him back. Verse 22, Joab fell. Joab, his general, his commander-in-chief, he fell with his face to the ground to pay him honor. We don't really do that in our culture. We don't have a king and even our president, we don't fall to the ground. But this is what was common in the ancient world. 
So Joab falls to the ground to pay him honor, and he blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that he has found favor in your eyes, my lord the king, because the king has granted his servant's request. I have a little note in my Bible there that I've written in that says, well, sort of. (laughs) He's sort of granted his request. Joab's about to be surprised about what has happened. He's bringing him back, but he's not bringing him back the way that Joab wants. So, at this point, I want to pause for a moment and say the reason that David had to be persuaded, we looked at this last week from the wise woman of Tekoa that Joab sent for David to change his mind. Part of the reason that David doesn't want him back is that he is angry at his son. And he hasn't done something that he should have done. And this is what takes some work in reading this text, reading more broadly the book of Samuel. What David should have done by now is what any father should do when his son does something terrible. At some point, that father should look his son in the eyes and say, I forgive you. I forgive you for what you have done. David has avoided that for three years. He has avoided other things as well. We'll get into it in a moment regarding Absalom, but he has avoided saying, I forgive you for what you have done. I love you. I am so sad for what you have done, but I forgive you and I love you. He hasn't said that. He hasn't said that, and he should have. Look with me on the screen at 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. Many of you, this is familiar to you, but if you haven't been here, what happened recently is David has also committed murder. He killed one of his most faithful soldiers, Uriah. And what happened with David is the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, the Lord has taken away your sin. Uh, You are not going to die. Why does he say you're not going to die? Because what David did under the Torah, under the law of the Old Testament, was punishable by death, what he did. But he has said to him, you, your, your sin has been forgiven. This would have been a great thing for David to say to his son Absalom. He could have said, God forgives you, and I forgive you. And then he could have said, I'm going to apply the law, and you are going to be executed. Or he could have said, I'm going to issue a pardon for you, like a president might today. But he doesn't do any of that. David has failed as a father and a leader. And the tragedy here is this kind of failure is a new thing for David. The law says, if a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. This was the law, the civil law, and the divine law in ancient Israel. Everyone 
in this story is familiar with that law. And David has been known until very recently for applying the law. 2 Samuel chapter 8, for applying the law equally to everyone. It says, so David reigned over all Israel. And David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. And the key word there is all. David's popularity ratings, his his people had massive confidence in him back in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Why? Because it didn't matter whether you were from a rich or prominent family or from a poor family. David made sure that the the law, that justice and righteousness were administered equally for everybody. If you were a Moabitess and you came in and became a believer in Yahweh, or you were a poor person, or you were from the most prominent family, it didn't matter. David reigned over all Israel, and he administered justice and righteousness for all people. This is how David has been operating as a leader, but he has failed to do that. And we know the turning point of the failure those of you that have been here in recent weeks. The turning point was when he was walking out on his deck late one afternoon. And his life has just taken a dive ever since that afternoon where he saw a woman bathing named Bathsheba. Let me share with you Matthew Henry's commentary, his perspective on this. He says, I see not how David can be justified in suspending the execution of the ancient law, the law that was just on the screen from Leviticus. I can't see that. So Matthew Henry's perspective is the perspective that David should sit down face to face with his son. There are probably going to be tears and he's going to say, I love you, I forgive you, and you are going to be executed for premeditated murder. He goes on, Matthew Henry, he says, God's laws were never designed to be like cobwebs, which catch the little flies, but suffer the great ones to break through. When we read the Old Testament, particularly a passage like this, it can be difficult to identify with the human character who lived 3,000 years ago. I'm trying to help us see that David should have long ago expressed to his son Absalom that I love you and I forgive you for this terrible thing that you have done. Now there are some crazy couple verses coming. And you might think in verse 25 and 27, you might think I'm going to avoid those, but I'm just going to push those to the end, okay? We're going to come back to Absalom weighing his hair. You ready for that? So we're going to skip that, but I'm going to come back to it in this sermon today. But I want to jump over that, and we will uh, jump down now to verse 28. 2 Samuel 14 and 28. So David has agreed to bring him back. Absalom back. He's been in a faraway place. Absalom wants to be back. So Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem. So David brought him back without seeing the king's face. 
So enter and use your imagination. Your son commits murder. He runs away. He knows he is not welcome back for three years. Finally, the king sends someone, bring, come on, bring him back. He comes back, but you can't be at the family table. You, you can't come to the palace, and I'm not even going to be near you. David is not leading as a father or as a king. Verse 29, then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king. But Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Uh, so no cell phones, no texting. So, so how do you communicate, uh, Absalom? Here's how he communicates that I want to see my dad. Mine, 30. He says to his servants, look, Joab's field is next to mine. These are wealthy people who have considerable property and land and agriculture. Look, Joab here. <laughs> Can you imagine? Do we have any farmers here? Maybe one. Uh, because he won't come and talk to me. Uh, you know that, but you know there aren't any Rayleighs back then. So this is going to uh, there's going to be scarcity of food. There, there, there's going to be financial impacts of this. Go, go, go set this field on fire. So Absalom's servants set, Matthew Henry writes this, on fire. From his father-in-law, and now two years, a prisoner at large in his own served. Yet his spirit was still unhumbled, his pride unmortified, not restored to all his places at court. He's not could think of some names for a person like this. Um, would spoiled brat work? That would work. Uh, um, spoiled brat might be better. An arrogant punk might work, but on fire. Verse 31. Then Joab did go to Absalom's house. He set his feel on his fire. Yeah, I'm going to come and see you now. On fire. Verse 32. Absalom said to Joab, why have I come from Geshur? This is where he was banished to. Why have I come? It would be better for me to see the king's face. And if I am guilty of anything, let him. He deserves the death penalty. He is demanding to see these events his father. He is so demanding that he sent this field on fire. I'm here, I think we can in some ways. He desires resolution, whether it be restoration or execution. Know what it's like to live with uncertainty? Do you, do you know what it's like? Not, have you ever been in a place where I, I, I don't know what's going to happen? That's where Absalom finds himself. Went to the king and told him this. Then the king summoned Absalom and he came in, kissed Absalom. He doesn't say, I forgive you. He just kisses him. That is a good thing. But we still see, I don't know your take on this, father, not leading as a king. He's not doing anything. The whole situation is festering and terrible because of a lead. It is the mutual doing anything. One of them, one of them is that we 
must have wounded us. David is not doing that. We need fundamental and foundational to the Christian life to forgive others. We're taught how to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive as we, as we also have forgiven our debtors, is how one translation puts it. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This prayer is not about finances. It's using some imagery here. In the Greco-Roman world, the record of debt was a written note of witness to God because of sin. Because of sin. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive others who sin against us. This is, this is how it works. David has been forgiven for what he did, and Nathan told him. And David should have looked his son in the eyes and said, I forgive you, but he hasn't done that. This is what God calls us to do as believers, to live this way. You know, the Lord's also instructive with the themes on how we should pray. There's only one theme that how his followers pray. But there's only one theme that he repeats in forgiveness. What do you think that is? It's forgiveness. Right after the Lord's Prayer. Right after the Lord's Prayer. All of these themes in the Lord's Prayer. Repeat his name. Thanking him for our daily bread. What theme does he go back to? For if you end of that prayer, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, also forgive you, but if you men, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, give your sins. Does that get our attention? How important is it for David to forgive Absalom? Say very important. How important is it for you and me to forgive anyone that has sinned against us? It is very, very important. The mutual human condition that we share with David where you and I desperately need God's grace is to completely forgive others. Just as Christ has forgiven us, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And, and, and just part of the life of the Christian is to forgive others. That's, this is one of the ways in verses 21 through 24 and 28 through 33. And have the text not just be facts that we learn about the story that happened, but God wants to change us through his word. It is living. So now, you ready for the crazy part? Two of you are. Um, for, the, for the hair, for, for, for the hair. So here, let me ask the question again. What is the mutual human condition that Christians uh, living in the foothills in 2023 share with Absalom? Living back now in the passage I, I skipped over and uh, look at verse 25. Uh, verse 25, in all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head, that is from his hair, literally, to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. So this dude is on the front cover of what? Men's health or what? what, what? 
GQ or whatever, like who is the equivalent of Absalom today? Tom Cruise? So I don't know who it is, but whoever you have in your mind, this dude, okay? This guy is a physical specimen. Not just his face. It is from the sole of his foot <laughs> to the top of Israel. Pray. There is no blemish in him. And all. How would you deal with that? Came into the room, the church building, the bar, the restaurant. Vanity, abilities, achievements. The careful reader of 2 Samuel who thinks about Absalom, we haven't looked at him yet, about his hair. He ends up in, in a few sermons like hanging from a tree by his hair. Believe these verses are here is for us to see how excessively attached he is to his appearance. Pride. 26 and so on. Look at verse 20, looking man. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair from time to time. He would weigh it. He would weigh his hair. <laughs> Are we supposed to laugh there? I'm laughing. And its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. There's a couple ways to take this. One is that this is just hyperbole. So my footnote in my Bible says it's about five pounds. That is, his hair weighed five pounds. Pretty difficult. I haven't done any personal experience, experiments myself with hair, but I think it's pretty difficult to get your hair to weigh five pounds. But it's also possible that this is actually literal. So this could be hyperbole. Matthew Henry takes this literally. Look at what he says. He says, for ostentation, Absalom had it weighed, that it might be seen how much it excelled other men's <laughs> hair. And it, would, and it weighed 200 shekels, which some reckon to be three pounds and two ounces. And with the oil and powder, especially if powered with gold dust, Bishop Patrick thinks it is not at all incredible that it should weigh so much. So styles have changed. We got any men with gold dust? in their hair today, powder, we see a man here who is incredibly vain, who is incredibly handsome, and has contributed to the kind of person that he is, that he lights a field on fire to get someone's attention. He is a spoiled brat. Vanity is not a problem only for people who are extremely handsome or beautiful, but it is to be seen in this text. And again, the Bible wants to change us Help us not to be Pharisees and say, oh, I am not like that. Rather, what like to say is, yeah, I'm not the most handsome man in the room, like attached to myself. 
and I want to kill that. If I happen to look this handsome, I would want to hold that so loosely before the Lord, my appearance. 1 John chapter 2, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We are seeing in Absalom the boastful pride of life. I want to be sitting at the table. I want to wear the robe. I'm next in line to the throne. I want to see my dad now. The boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. I've organized today's sermon with just two points, that we need God's grace to completely forgive as Christ has forgiven us, and in whatever form it takes to destroy the idol of vanity in our lives, the excessive attachment to ourselves. I don't know a man who would weigh his hair or put gold dust in it or whatever he was doing back then. But I know men, including myself, who struggle with being excessively attached to themselves with pride. This is how the Bible wants to speak into our lives. And and, and to hold very loosely, if we happen to be handsome or beautiful, that we hold very loosely to that, no matter what we look like, that we hold loosely to that. And God made us in his image, every one of us. That's what we want to champion, to destroy the idol of vanity. How do you do that? Well, I don't think it's helpful to say for Absalom, you know, help me not to Help me not to think I'm the most handsome man in all Israel. I mean, the facts are, I think he was. So another way to get at the destruction of excessive attachment to myself, if you're Absalom or if you're you or if you are me, is to actually know in in the deepest place inside of ourselves, we know what sinners we are. And we know the New Testament has told us to consider other peoples better than, our, better than ourselves. So if Absalom had the New Testament, which we do, if he had the gospel, which we do, he would regularly be preaching to himself, the, the whole country thinks I'm so handsome, but God is the one that made this this way, and I am actually deep inside of me a massive sinner, and God helped me to consider others better than myself, and that could help displace his vanity. It's a spiritual work of prayer, of grace. God, help us, no matter what we look like or what our struggles are with our view of ourselves or our bodies or our appearances or our faces, to consider others better than ourselves. There's someone who does not share our ideology or philosophy or theology that we can actually learn from in this small area of vanity. It's a very surprising person. I quoted from a few surprising persons yesterday, and I'm about to quote from another one. Anyone know who this is? Who is this? Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda at uh, 25 years of age. And here is Jane Fonda at 85 years of age. 
She was in an interview recently, and she was asked about, can you believe it, plastic surgery. She was asked about her plastic surgery. Her answer is pretty shocking and stunning. For someone whose ideology, whose probably perspective of Veterans Day, whose philosophy is very far from probably everyone in this room. She has some wisdom on this subject because she has lived something like, from a woman's side, what Absalom lived as a male side. This is what she said in response to the question about plastic surgery. She said, I'm sorry that I did get plastic surgery. I am. I wish that I had been able to grow old and at peace with my face. But I wasn't able to. And um, I don't feel good about it. That it's not real. When she looks at herself and she sees something much deeper than that. And she deeply regrets it. No matter how God, he's made us in his image, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And there is such tremendous freedom, appearance in knowing that we do not need to be attached to our Even if you are able to defy seemingly the laws of nature, it actually brings regret. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is awe for God. She shall be praised. A man who fears the Lord, a man who has reverence and awe for God and considers others better than himself, he shall be praised. We have the exact opposite of that. A seat at the table by setting a field on fire. His handsomeness was not a help to him. He did not respond well to it. He was not a good steward of himself. You and I desperately need to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us and to destroy pride in whatever form and vanity in whatever form it comes. Let's bow our heads and ask God to help us to consider others better than ourselves. Lord, we are thankful that every human being is of equal value in your eyes. Even though the world would put people that are handsome and beautiful ahead of others, that the, we know that's not true. And we know how destructive that can be. Absalom is responsible for who he has become. But these circumstances and his handsomeness has played a role. And he has not dealt well with it. Lord, help us to deal well with the stewardship of who we are 
our physical appearances, our aging. Help us to rejoice that you made us fearfully and wonderfully, whether we are young or old, whether we have a more normal appearance or or a beautiful or handsome appearance. Help us to hold these things loosely. Help us to treasure Christ, all we have. Our, Our one treasure is so mighty and magnificent that everything else is just really small compared to you, God. Give us that perspective. And then going back to forgiveness, Lord, help us by your grace to forgive, especially those family members, ex-spouses, children, parents, those who can wound us the most. Help us to forgive them completely as Christ has forgiven us completely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.